0: tell me if you remember. Me if remember no telling if you remember yeah i'll never forget i'll never forget yeah. welcome to the hashtag #altscene podcast the show focuses on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations communities and events Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag How to Sing podcast. I'm really happy to have this unexpected surprise guest on the show, Um, and I'll let Marisa introduce herself.
1: Hi, I'm Marisa Catalina Casey. Um, People call me Marisa or Mari, and um, I am joining Kim on this podcast as a, a person who recently worked at Girl Develop It.
0: All right. So before we get started, I always like to ask two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene?
1: Excellent questions to ask yourself every day. Uh, For myself, I will say in in thinking about the concept of causing a scene, I am usually not a person that likes to do that in public. I'm not, I don't send back my orders at restaurants easily. I've had to practice to do that. Um, I am not the person that, um, (laughs) wants to have a fight in public. My husband and family members will tell you, (laughs) um, personally, I think I do it all the time. I think it's a part of, um, as you describe, strategic disruption, I absolutely subscribe to that. Um, I think that you need to constantly be taking stock about whether or not you are living your values and walking the walk and making those small decisions that add up to, you know, who you are um, in the world. And so for me, causing a scene means uh, calling things out when they need to be called out. Um, It means a growth mindset. It means continuous improvement and uh, constantly checking my actions and the things that I do and how I walk in the world against my own personal values.
0: All right, that's funny when you mentioned. I had to laugh about the night taking food back because I am notorious for taking food, sending food back. For specifically, when I go to a place that is a steak place and I ask mm-hmm. for medium rare steak and it comes any kind of way but medium rare, and I'm paying what I'm paying for a steak place. Yeah, I'm tasting in that sucker back. I don't even let the I don't. It's gotten to the point where I don't even let the 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 hostess, the um, server, walk away. Let me cut into this. Mm-hmm. First. <laughs> so you don't have to, have to make another trip. All right. So I know that you so I'm going to I'm going to start with a caveat because um, when this airs, this will be the third um, Girl Develop It podcast specific that I've um, um, recorded. And I want to give a caveat um, because based on some of the things you just said, and I know what people are thinking. I really don't care, but I just know what people are thinking. This is not personal for me. Girl development It just happened to be the thing that came up on the radar first. If you've been following me, you know that I've been looking for opportunities to call organizations, communities, and event organizers out who are causing harm to the collective community as well as specifically to marginalized and vulnerable people in those communities. So Girl developer just fell in my lap. And so, uh, but I want to tell this complete story because it's not just about Shanice and a Black woman or marginalized women being harmed. Last week, you heard uh, from Tamara. She's a white woman who was a part of that community. Marisa is another employee who was at headquarters. Um, my hope is to bring some community, uh, some, yeah, some chapter leaders on to tell their story, because we need to stop thinking that it's just marginalized people, in particular black women who are just sensitive and upset. And this is only them. And what can we do to placate, quiet them? This harm is systemic and it has systemic reverberations throughout a community or organization. You may and, and, and you may not see it. But like all parasites, at some point, it's going to eat on its host. And this is why I'm bringing this out. It's not a vendetta against um, girl development, although how they've addressed these issues (laughs) has been, oh boy, it's been such a case study in how not to silence, how not to minimize, how not to trivialize the harm that is caused either intentionally and most often not, not intentionally. You still have to address it. So I want to say all that because I know, okay, they're like, oh my God, this is the third one. Um, and I'm gonna keep telling these stories because everybody has a different perspective and these stories need to be heard. Yet, I've found out, not yet, I'm gonna put a period on that because I know that if I'm not causing the, calling these things out, if I'm not intentionally causing a scene these things don't change, and, change and, and, and progress and health of our communities don't improve. So with that said, why did you want to talk to me? Um, I
1: wanted to have an opportunity to talk about my experience, you know, because some of it is similar and overlaps in ways with Shanice's that she so bravely told about. Um, While some of it, you know, obviously I have my own perspective, my own personal point of view, Um, just to give you a little bit bit of background about who I am, I am a Colombian woman, I present as white, I don't actually know my full makeup because I was adopted when I was three, so that's another intersection of my own life is coming from a third world country, being adopted into um, a privileged white family, and in a lot of ways that has given me a perspective from... Um, what you might call marginalized or disadvantaged or for a, just a different perspective than even my family members, right? Even my adoptive family. Um, and so I've had that unique perspective that often I can be a bridge, um, a bridge between disparate communities, uh, between different points of view. That's also why I love to do communications and marketing Um which was my role at Girl Develop It as the director of marketing. <laughs> I have had many different roles. I think of myself more as a social entrepreneur than anything, that I come from that kind of uh, social justice perspective and point of view. Um, I founded a nonprofit organization. I served in the Peace Corps in Latin America. I've just All of these experiences, when you talk about causing a scene and how, how you uphold your own values, that, that is who I am. That's the perspective that I come from. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about kind of my perspective in how things have transpired with Girl Develop It is because um, similar to what you've said before, you can see sort of the, the small picture and the big picture at the same time. I think because of my amount of access on the leadership team um, and also just being a student of organizational dynamics and leadership, um, it really is, like you said, an incredible case study. It is definitely, from my point of view, a case study on what not to do and how not to do things. For me, what was so unjust about being involved with Girl Develop It and um, what really boiled my blood and made it so difficult for me to be there uh, was that it is an organization whose mission is supposed to be empowering people. In particular, women, non-binary folks, disadvantaged, marginalized, however you want to characterize that non-white cis males in technology empowering those folks right to be involved to have a say however what i learned really quickly when i started working there was that the ways in which people were were trying to do their work were very unjust so they weren't even walking the walk in the ways that work got done so if you're not walking the walk internally if you don't have your own house in order it is obvious mm-hmm. that you're not going to be able to have the impact that you want and and achieve your mission externally. If you're not doing those things internally, mm-hmm. how how can you really be doing that externally? And that was really my experience there that for me I did feel, you know, targeted in some ways because I spoke out, I questioned things that's just my nature. And like you said, it's not personal. It's not about you did something wrong. You said something wrong. I will always, in the service of the mission, try to question and say, is this mm-hmm. the best way that we're doing it? And if not, why not? Let's let's explore that. Let's do a postmortem. Let's ask how we can do it better next time, how we can do it differently.
0: And um, it keeps coming back. And I took this note when you first said, living your values. Mm-hmm. And that is what I find to be different and why you didn't see it. There's a difference between a mission statement and core and developing critical core values. And what I find is that many of these organizations, although they, I'm gonna, I'm gonna err on the side of, and I don't give whiteness the benefit of the doubt, but I'm gonna err on the side of giving whiteness the benefit of the doubt here because I understand how challenging it is to, to develop, guide, and maintain and nurture organizational culture that doesn't come from a mission statement. That a mission statement is absolutely nothing. It's just words on a wall, on your masthead, on your um, emails, whatever. Core values are things that can be actionable. And it takes time to develop that. Word, mission statements to me have become nothing more than wordsmithing. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, Um, and you've not done the work of developing core values, you can't identify why you're making decisions. You can't understand the impact those decisions are having on you and the organization and its constituents. You have nothing to girt making decisions based on how to hire, who to hire, how you'll do compensation, um, all those things come from, comp- com- um, um, com- um, core values. I have a client who her, one of her core values for her organization is beautiful things. And she was like, I have no idea how I can operationalize or manage or m- uh, measure that. How can I do that? But by the end we, she understood how to do that because for her beautiful things meant even when she was deciding what toilet paper to put in the bathroom, that was a decision she had to make for me, because that's not, my core value. If I got the toilet paper is going to fit my needs, you know what I'm saying? And it, 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 but for her, because that is a core value, it was all about providing beautiful things for her customers and clients. That's how she had to look at that for somebody else whose core values are different. That would be something else. So when you're saying that your core or your mission is to serve, first of all, let me back up because, um, I, I, again, I'm an educator. We cannot empower other people. And I really wish people would say that. You cannot motivate. You cannot empower. Those are intrinsic values. Those are intrinsic things. What you can do is provide spaces and opportunities for them to empower or motivate themselves. Absolutely. That's all you can do. Yep. So when you... So what I find is a lot of these organizations that have this, oh, we want to empower... That right there says that there is some some supremacy in that. Patriarchy,
1: absolutely. Yes.
0: I'm giving you something. You cannot do this without me. Yes. And so that already leads you down the wrong (laughs) path because we're we're not partners in this. And that's fine if that's what your mission is and your core values are. But you have to understand the kind of clients and customers that are going to be attracted to that. You can't say I'm A- um, apples, but your pineapples, right. That just doesn't, doesn't work well. So that's the first thing. And then to, to say women, non-binary, um, w- w- women affirming, whatever term you want to use, um, and it not be intersectional is a problem. And this is what I see with all these, these organizations. I'm going to say all, cause I've rarely use absolutes, <laughs> With all these organizations, feminist movements, um, because this episode is gonna um, gonna air right before the women's march that's having a problem right now, mm-hmm. and any organ anything that is not f- that is not intersectional in its nature, and that means facing the truths yeah. of historical harm and oppression. Your group, whatever that is may have caused to another group. Yeah. Just because you're a woman, if I'm a black woman who has, and my my group of black people (laughs) have caused harm to another group of marginalized individuals, I need to own that. Right. I don't need, it's not my responsibility. I didn't actually do it, but if I'm benefiting from it in some way, I need to own that and give them the space to say whatever they need to say to me. Yeah. And this is what, is not happening in the women's movement, in that women's march with um, white women who are also Jewish, or they want, uh, hell, I'm just, they don't think they're white, but to, I'm gonna be, and I say this all the time to black people, you're white. And that's just what that is. Um, and white um, Jews that present as white benefit from privilege. Absolutely. Jews, many Jews who benefit as white, have actively gone out of their way to benefit from privilege. Um, just like I'm looking at you, you are white passing. I would never have known that you were Colombian. And I've talked to several people um, in Latin America where you are considered the privileged because darker skinned Latin Americans are the oppressed. Right. Absolutely. And that is the context I am. And so until we can be honest about these conversations and say, you know what? I did not, or not even. I'm not even gonna say I did not, because that gives you out because you're still benefiting. I may not be conscious of it, but I recognize that I'm benefiting from this, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to continue causing harm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make space for these women to share their stories. And if that makes me uncomfortable, so fucking what? All the better. I think that's discomfort is very, very important. Because you get to learn from that, and see, this is the, this is the 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 the, the mm, where everybody they're they they want to do the work until it be in, in, as long as it's inside their comfort zone. The real work doesn't happen until you step out of your comfort zone. Correct. Do That's you think I want? To, yeah. Yes. Do you think I? Th- People think, oh, Kim is just railing. This is very uncomfortable for me. I have to figure out. I mean, not only the dynamics of this, but I got to figure out how my mortgage is going to mm-hmm. be paid. I could, I could have, I could have gotten a, a, a six figure job by now, right? But it, again, living my values has led me here, and it's very uncomfortable. Um, so we're all having to pay a price for our discomfort. Absolutely. It's where do you? Where do you? Where is your line? I haven't found. I mean, yeah, it's. I even listened to. I even was reading this morning about some white um, young women on campuses, conservative women, Republicans, and listen, because I need to hear their stories.
1: Oh, it's so important to hear those diverse perspectives. Otherwise you're in your own bubble. Yeah.
0: I don't need to agree. Right. (laughs) I don't need to agree. I don't need to say that they're bitches what they've been called. I mean, I don't need to do all that. But what it does is helps inform my decisions.
1: I think that kind of empathy is absolutely essential. And I think you know, what we're talking about, what I, what I'm hearing in this conversation has a lot to do with culture, right? It's like the culture that you are cultivating and consistently creating. That's a, that's a word. It has to be consistent. Right. Mm -hmm. But you are consistently creating that for good or bad. Mm -hmm. And what I found in the organization, Girl Develop It, GDI was a culture that was against my own personal values. And I was surprised. Honestly, I was surprised. I started working there in April of last year, and there were several events that led to my conclusion. I can no longer, I'm not able to work here any longer, even without having, you know, the next thing lined up perfectly. I just knew that I couldn't do it anymore. And that very much has to come down to culture. And those are the decisions that people make day in and day out of what they're going to uphold, what they're going to motivate and what they're going to, um, Give space for and the things that they are not. What you know, what is allowed, what is permitted, what is um, incentivized, and
0: who's protected?
1: Who's protected? Where are those incentives? Yeah. Yeah. And so when I got to the organization, I really I had this preconceived notion that because it was led by women, because it uh, appeared to be diverse in lots of different ways, um, that somehow it was going to be different. It was going to be different than my experiences at white hierarchical patriarchal male dominated institutions and to my surprise i came in and it wasn't it was upholding and regenerating those same broken systems and to me that is just so it's even worse because it feels like you should know better right like if 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 we're not going to make progress in our matriarchal organizations and we're just as oppressive as our patriarchal one.
0: And then why why be there? Why take up why space? Why it? take up resources? Why are you in the why are you in the way when there are other people who can do this better?
1: Yeah, and and I also think like for me it's a, a lot of cognitive dissonance because on the one hand, I have to be the spokesperson. I have to write these words, right? I as a as the director of marketing, I was often writing reports and, and grant proposals and things for the website and wordsmithing the mission and all of these things that you're talking about. And I found it very, very difficult to do in, in an organization that lacked vision, that that lacked real leadership, that had vision, that was and I would say that, I'd say, where are we headed? Can you give me a roadmap? Like what's our vision? Because then I can help support with a communications mm-hmm. plan. Then I can help support with what language flows from that. And so what happened was in, in, in a vacuum, in a lack of vision, then each person fenced for themselves. And I often was saying what I wanted to hear, what I would like this organization to be. And so a lot of what I was putting out there was aspirational.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what's uncomfortable. Because there was no
0: structure or anything. Correct. There was nothing upholding. Yeah, yet. and you make that that whole vision thing, because and and one of the reasons I, I can be very empathetic <laughs> is because I've worked with learners for so long mm-hmm. of all different abilities. But what really made me empathetic is becoming a certified special needs teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a group of students. We all got to get to a place. Everybody's at a different level. Some of us are going to get there and re- forget tomorrow. Some of us never get there. Some of us have the ability to surpass it and help the others. Um, and then it was helping teaching them to be empathetic with you're all, we're all different. And also teaching and helping the, the other students at large to be empathetic mm-hmm. because they're not, while you're pointing your fingers at these students in your own ecosystem, there's the same thing. So they may have cognitive disabilities or deficits, but you're all different. And and there's somebody in your quote unquote general population because they were the gen ed, who's who can do this better than you, who's slower than you, who's um not hadn't had lunch today, all these other things that we need to take into consideration when we're having these conversations and building these organizations, communities, and events that are. You're not going to catch everything and you're going to fucking make mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's just a part of life. What you cannot do, though, is, is, is take. Oh, this is. Uh, when You just said that patriarchal and, and, and emulating it in this space. It's that Facebook move fast, break things and no one's learning from anything. So there's no vision. Right. Except, I mean, Facebook was to get so many people so they can make money. Um, so they can monetize that thing. And it's and we're seeing the backlash of that, of all the, I mean, the various ways that that's just now shit piling on them. And all. I mean, I'm sure they every day there's something different that they didn't see because they didn't take the time to evaluate. And we're seeing this in these organizations. We're seeing where the individuals are going to go back to living your values. When the organizational, organizational values are not imbued with your living values that are that are inclusive. I'm having this, okay, so I'm, I'm kind of back in my head and you guys know I do this because what I'm trying to figure out is, are those, how can they be so off? How can your organization values be so off if your personal values are that? Which makes me question, are those your real personal values?
1: Right, I mean, I think what we're talking about is a real lack of vision, but also that lack of intention. And each of us individually, this is just how I, how I think. And incidentally, Shanice and I gave a presentation at the Leadership Summit for Girl Develop It, espousing a lot of these values of the organization we would like to see. And it was very much aspirational. It was very much geared towards the folks at our own organization to say, this is what we wish we could do, right? This is like our dream of an organization. Um, but not having that intentionality um, individually right? And not having a growth mindset or uh, demonstrating continuous improvement, basically not walking the walk on the small things leads to not walking the walk on the big things, right? So it's, you know, when I think about kind of my awakening and, and evolving and understanding of this system at Girl Develop It and where, I started, you know, being very much an optimist, which I just am by nature, an optimist, thinking I can be a part of the change. I can help. I can, you know, I oh, I see that there are cracks in the foundation, but I can help patch those up and make it better. Um, that's that's how I started. When I think about my evolution of from there to, oh, I have no more faith in this. I have no faith in this going forward. Um, a lot of that had to do with recognizing in very specific circumstances in lots of small ways, how people were not authentic and were not um, living the values of the organization and were not upholding what we said we would uphold um, in lots of small ways. And if you can do that in those small ways, you're going to be doing that in the big ways.
0: And that makes me question, again, I'm going to come back to this, are these actually your Values are these values that will let will look good on paper, helpful donors or whatever, because, again, the small things are what that make up the big things. Of course. And so it's like if you if your intention is to create something that's anti patriarchal, um, fake meritocracy, all of that. And yet that's what you create. Right. And you don't question that. Right. That's that's where my that's where my problem comes. That's where my my issue comes from. Yeah. Because intentionality without chaos, without um, strategy is chaos. And I say that all the time. So you cannot and see this is where I'm I'm going to I'm not pushing back on you, but I'm just want to have a broader conversation because you cannot tell me that those are your that those were the core values or the v- values of individuals, and yet you create an, a, an a, um, organization that is so counter to that, that emulates what you say you don't want, and, I'm going to get to this, that upholds white supremacy. Absolutely. I mean, as,
1: as we're having a discussion, this absolutely brings me back to an article that a friend of mine from my previous work experience shared with me about what are the culture cultural values of whiteness Um, what what does a white supremacist culture look like and I know that that sounds scary to some people to call it white supremacist But you know how I think of it is the white hegemony, right? That we focus in 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 white institutions. There is the focus on Um on power right on hierarchy on individualism Um thinking of progress as always bigger and more right quantity over quality um, that those the the emotional health and well-being of those in power is the most important thing. Um, defensiveness is another characteristic. Perfectionism, um, worship of the written word, all of these things. And if folks want to read more about it on dismantlingracism.org, there's lots of amazing resources like this. And I know you often have great resources to share. But this one really resonated with me because of the workplace that I recently came from and the place, the workplace that I thought I was coming into, and I thought I was coming into a a workplace that was not like this. That's, that's the bill that was sold to me in the process of my hiring. Um, and when I actually came to see what the reality was, it was all of these things, just a different flavor of the same thing. And it was even more disappointing because to me, it felt like, well, you should know better. It's even worse because you're supposed to be the example.
0: But just what you just said, though, that list of things you just said Mm -hmm. is thank you for sharing that. And I would um, we're going to make sure we put that in the um, show notes, resource notes, because what you just demonstrated, what you just shared was getting to my next thing. Whiteness has never held, been held accountable or been forced to evaluate itself. Right. So it doesn't have these skills. No. It's the default. These, exactly. These individual women would tell you that's not what they were doing, even though that's the result of their behavior. That's the impact. Yep. Yes. And so, oh, and I'm glad you said that because your intention and the impact are not necessarily the same thing. And what matters is the impact. Screw your fucking intention. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We all know about good intentions and where that leads. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So if you would give me some, if you are okay with give me some, I want to, I'm always about specifics, not to yeah, I could care less. I mean, I could care less what people at GDI think of me. So that's not about that. But I this is a teaching show and I want, I use these as examples for people to identify, oh shit, I'm doing this. Or Oh shit, this is what's happening to me. And this is, it's not me. I'm being gaslit. So if you can get provide some examples of how um, you got from this optimistic, wide eyed, oh my God, mm-hmm. I want to be the be the be the change I want to see in this world (laughs) to I got to leave this shit and I don't even have a job lined up yet Mm -hmm. um let's talk about that yeah let's
1: talk about it um I would say that there are four particular large events and like I said that's just the tip of the iceberg there's so many small things obviously on the day-to-day but the four big ones for me um you know, some intersect with what uh, Shanice was talking about. So the first is USOW, which was United State of Women Conference in Los Angeles, where Michelle Obama was speaking. And that was my third week in my job. And it was the second time I had met people. Actually, I was meeting one of uh, a couple of my team members for the first time. But um, it was the second time that I was really meeting people because we're a fully remote organization, which adds another layer of um challenge i think to all getting on the same page but anyway we were in los angeles all together going to this conference and we woke up very early um, because we knew that michelle obama was speaking and all of us were very excited to get there to get good seats Um, the executive director had been to one of these conferences before two years prior in dc actually part of it was at the white house and she said oh you have to wake up early she was basically you know leading us saying this is what you have to do and bring things to save seats and you know make sure that your outfits are on point it's a fashion show you know just have all these expectations of uh all of the team members and what we were supposed to be like and act like and look like and everything and we get there we had woken up at 5 30 in the morning we get there um there is a morning session and then I guess we didn't I didn't realize that uh Michelle Obama was going to be speaking in the afternoon and so uh the executive director suggested that we save the seats using like little tote bags and put them over the covers of the seats. And I'm thinking, all right, well, this is a gamble. I mean, they're not our seats. I don't know if they're going to be here later. And then they weren't. Right. And so Shanice talks about this experience. I was there too, witnessing it. And, you know, when I say the word witness, I I think I should say the word bystander more, um, because that's how I felt in the situation. I'd come to the seats There were some seats that had been saved, some seats that hadn't been saved, and there were uh, four black women, four or five black women in half of those seats. And then there was a row in front of us of uh, Latinas, and we were there trying to see if we could, you know, find more space for our team. Now, I looked at the seat situation. And I was like, oh, I guess there's no seats. I was there with my cameras. Like, my job is to take photos and to tweet and to do all these things. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to move to a different place. I don't know if I'm going to be able to take pictures, you know, that are going to be as good from, from further away. And so one of the people that actually had one of our seats uh, gave up her seat for me. And I thought that was so kind and generous. And she said, no, 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 it's part of your job. Like, you should be here. So I took that seat. So I was standing there the entire time when the executive director came down. And I saw that she was disappointed and I have a lot of empathy, you know, like we were talking about this, that you, you know, can see the other side of the coin. And you know, some things may or may not be intentional. So I saw that she was very disappointed. And I felt very bad. And my initial reaction because I am a giver was, oh, maybe I should give up my seat. Am I supposed to give up my seat? And she's also my boss, right? So there's like a power dynamic there. She happens to be a white woman doesn't happen to me. She is a white woman. And, you know, we're all sitting there negotiating. We had no idea what to do, the other team members and I. And she's standing there yelling at these black women to get out of her seat. It's not her seat. She's not entitled to it, but she thought she was, right? So I could see this whole thing unfolding. And as a bystander, one thing that I regret is not being able to Help to diffuse the situation and to try to bring more awareness to her about how she was acting in asking these black women to give up their seat and not she was not even acknowledging or understanding the implications of that. To ask a person in a nation that has a history in a civil rights movement of Rosa Parks, of all of this stuff, she has no, no context, no idea of this, that she's asking this person to give up their seat, let alone then creating this complicity in the other folks standing around there. And like, for me, it was an ethical dilemma. I'm here to watch Michelle Obama. I'm here to do my job. I'm here to empower women. It's a women's empowerment conference. And I'm sitting here wondering, what do I do in this situation? How do I confront my boss I've known for two seconds who who holds power over me? If someone else has already given up their seat for me, you know, what What do I do in the situation? And that was very uncomfortable for me, very uncomfortable for everybody there when, you know, as Shinny's characterized it and I would agree, she threw a tantrum. And it was really upsetting and uncomfortable for all of us. We all make mistakes. We all do things that we regret. But what was doubly hurting about that whole situation was what happened afterwards. So we're sitting there, for like two and a half hours, because there's lots of warm up before Michelle Obama comes, and we're all sitting there. And for me, at least, like that was that situation of everything that happened, definitely, you know, ha- gave an, a negative pull to the situation for me. Like I just, I just felt bad about how we had come to that, and it was the opposite of empowering for me. Right It was not setting those, like you said, setting the conditions, setting the context where people can empower themselves or to feel empowered. I did not feel empowered in that situation. Um, and I imagine other people did not either. And then afterwards, right, after we're having this amazing experience, being twenty feet from this incredible human being that has been a, a hero in my life, um, to then continue to feel bad about that experience and to have that um just negativity sort of sticking around, and what happened afterwards was we're all supposed to go out to dinner as a team. But the executive director was still angry; she was still upset. And what happened was one of my colleagues asked, "Oh, is she upset with me?" And we said, "No, uh, you know, it's, it's it was an unfortunate situation, and I think she's just upset and disappointed with what happened." And later on. That got back to the executive director and she chastised that other individual for quote unquote, talking about her. Um, In my situation, I know that Shanice said she didn't get an apology. I got an apology um, sort of in a meeting one-on-one with the executive director who said, that's not, I, you know, that's not who I want to be. I'm sorry that I, you know, that, that was a bad situation or something like that. Like it was, I'm glad that she said something. I I give her credit for that. But what I wanted to see from that moment forward was a change. I wanted to actually see a change in actions, not just a change in words, not just a change in um we're going to change up the mission statement. We're going to all of a sudden, you know, say that our theme of our summit is intersectionality. Right? Not just like the pretty words, but actually walking the walk, making the decisions that show that you have changed acting in a different manner
0: okay before you go with the other three i want to stop here because you've made some you made a point that i want to will be addressing a lot in 2019 the aftermath of these situations so you gave a great example of how we marginalize individuals and we're confronted with whiteness um, where we're already not welcome how we respond so we we it's it's mental fucking gymnastics we start thinking how to navigate this situation to cause the least amount of harm to us and yet be, in, be the empowered individuals we want to be and there's always a, a a um a um a trade-off and i'm saying this as if you don't hear this all the time in the women's movement, period. So it's not like it's foreign to them. Yet they, there's a disconnect with applying those same processes to people who are not them, which again is why white supremacy is the problem. It's not even intentional. There's a huge, when you talk about drawing a bridge, being a bridge, there's a huge disconnect they do not have the skills. They have the skills to do the, the mental gymnastics because they're women and they've been in their careers and they've been they I mean, they wouldn't be doing this if they hadn't had the experience of the um, of, you know, men and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Fight the power. What they lack is a way to disconnect that to someone else. And that's sheer empathy that's where empathy comes. That's what exactly what empathy is. And they lack that because they've never had to cultivate that because whiteness has always been the default. So they've never had to question or evaluate anything. So you're telling me you the thing is going on, everybody's stressed out. I'm sure if you, they would have te- checked your cortisol levels, they would have been skyrocketing. So now there's health issues going on. Mm-hmm. You, you're sitting there for two hours, two and a half hours. You're still tense because this is, I mean, you can't come down from this. And- and everyone around you is talking about it. Exactly, and so it's not going away. And then um, when someone speaks about it, sh- she's this person is chastised or put in their put in their place. That's what it is. Yes. She was put yep. in her place.
1: Hundred percent. But absolutely, it's a privilege of not thinking through that lens of white. Not
0: having to not think having through. to not think, not think to,
1: through that lens yes, of white. Yes, yes. That's why I want to put yes. that in
0: there because it's not a for them. It's never been. A, it's not for us. It's a choice. Yes. For them it's never been a choice. It's just a default. Correct. I don't have to think about mm-hmm. this. So they so whiteness causes this trauma and walks away. We could be at the house in the bed can't sleep because of something that happened during the day. Yes. Calculating, "Oh my god, is this going to affect me when I go to work tomorrow? All these other things." Yes. Yeah. Yep. 100%. So that's why I wanted to tease that out, because again, these are experiences that we have every single day. And I wanted to tease out also that these experiences are not unique to to us. These women also have these experiences, but that lack of empathy doesn't allow them to connect it with people who they, they they can deny it all they want to, but they believe that they're superior to.
1: Right. It's very difficult, I think, for a person to see themselves as the oppressor.
0: To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag CauseTheScene.com. Almost definitely. Dot well, com. I talk about this all the time. That's why, by default, all white people are racist. For me, it just depends on where on the racist spectrum you are. Are you actively, actively being, uh, working to be anti-racist or are you openly white supremacist? Because you've never, it's its by default. You Most of you don't, under, don't even see it. That's why you have all these chapter leaders upset when um, Shanice's uh, podcast came out, because they were totally oblivious to what the hell was going on. Right. But that's by design. Yes. I'm glad you the whole system is by design that way. Correct. because it's, it's, That
1: is an oppressive system. And that is what I'm
0: talking about when you're upholding these patriarchy. Exactly. Yeah. This, these patriarchal concepts. And it's easy for you to point to the racist outside. Oh, that's racist behavior. But you can't see it in yourself. And that's why, to me, the default is all white people are racist until they can have a conversation and demonstrate consistent behavior that they're actively working against. Because that's how you were raised; that has been your education from inside the womb outside. Okay. So I wanted to make sure we we unpacked that because there were so many things in that story. Now you can go on. That's just number one. (laughs) Um, Other examples.
1: So something that has been discussed, especially within the GDI community, is the what I would say is a failure of the response by um, leadership to the events that happened at the Minneapolis chapter of Girl Develop It. And from my perspective and having a little bit more knowledge maybe than than some other folks, because I did take it upon myself to collect all of the artifacts afterwards, because like I said, I believe in the postmortem. I believe in debriefing, in learning from our mistakes and missteps. Um, I took it upon myself to collect everything that I could that folks had on the HQ team and put it together in a timeline, in a document. What were the conversations? Who knew when, what was happening? Not like you said, to blame anyone in particular, but to see how the systems or lack of systems or the ways that we responded or the words that we used or the the timeline or like how, how that impacted everybody. That, to me, is when you would really get down to the bottom of truly trying to learn from that experience, and that didn't happen by the time I was there. But what happened in Minneapolis, to me, is really about a failure of leadership. It's about bad decisions, about fear, and an inability to cope, um, and an inability to be able to apologize authentically. Um, What I heard about the incidents of these two white chapter leaders who were um, leaving out this black chapter leader, they were leaving her out of decision making. They were marginalizing her in a lot of ways. They were telling her she wasn't pulling her weight, but not giving her the tools to be successful. They, They were imposing their ways of doing things on this is just what I saw from actual artifacts from conversations that I was privy to. Um, from written exchanges, um, that there were a lot of microaggressions and these things were happening. Um, so the issue here was that the white chapter leaders, I think, started the conversation with people at HQ first. And so the way that they talked about it was obviously going to be different than the perspective of the person who um, felt marginalized, right? And who who was being left out. Um, but then once the, you know, HQ team members asked that person directly, okay, I want to talk to you. It, it started to blow up over Twitter, right? And so it, it became something that was public. And then there was the sense of urgency, right? Before it was just kind of like, oh, maybe it's an interpersonal issue. All these minimizing things of, oh, it's an exaggeration. I think it's an isolated incident. All of these things, right? That are discounting. Um, this experience, but um, I want to
0: stop you there because they were also going on at headquarters. Correct. So you can't see. So it's like, it was a totally emu- emulated in headquarters. So obviously again, this lack of self-reflection absolutely 100% and again that's that's that
1: kind of not living your values that that dissonance that's so difficult that tension because on the one hand you're having this thing that's happening at a chapter and you're saying oh that's an isolated incident that's exaggerated while at the same time it's happening in your own home right you don't have your mm-hmm. own house in order again you should know better um but it just it shows that the that lack of leadership that lack of vision that lack of of what I would say was transparency and authenticity and, and trust. A lot of this comes down to trust. Um, <laughs> that lack of trust meant that it wasn't taken seriously internally, and it wasn't taken as seriously as it should have been externally either. So this is not a surprise.
0: Exactly, because our issues are never taken seriously because we're never the default.
1: Right. You have to get really loud and yes. public, <laughs> and all of that. Of course, I, I absolutely. You know that's again, coming back to cause a scene, right? Mm-hmm. It it has to come to a boiling point and get so bad because you're not listened to.
0: And then the, def- and then the response is let's be civil. Why are you picking on me? Why are you bullying on me? Well, you didn't like, I mean, thing, yeah. yeah, it's like it, it, you, you're, if I'm going to be shit regardless, I'm going to be shit and get my word out, you know? I, I, I'm damned. If I do damned, if I don't, right. when I say what I'm going to say, you're going to, it's going to be very clear what I mean. It's right. not going to be any him and ha's. It's not going to be any words reading between the lines. There's not going to be any passive aggressive. And let me tell you, it's not going to be civil.
1: And it and it shouldn't be. I mean, it's, it's creative destruction. And that's a positive thing, right? So like you have to have that mindset to encourage that, to really have that, that um, quest for doing and being better and authentically want to follow that path. Um, And so what I saw, right? So when I first heard of it, and I was one of the last people, despite you know supposedly being the director of marketing communications, right? At this organization, um, (laughs) I was really in the dark until the last moment and it spilled out on Twitter. um, And I saw a tweet that said, um, women of color do not feel safe in the GDI Minneapolis community. And there were lots of other words. Those words, were like neon blinking to me all that mattered. women of color do not Mm -hmm. feel safe in Mm -hmm. this community Mm -hmm. that's all I needed to hear and that should have been prioritized exactly that should have been it yes I said at that meeting and I happened to be in town in person co-working with the team part of the team I said we absolutely those words were said everything has to change we need to address this
0: Immediately. Okay. Now, let I want to stop you because, because you used the word immediately. This happened when August, and when was the response? I don't. I don't know. Maybe never. <laughs> there right? you go. Know. Okay. So, <laughs> there's
1: been some responses in little drips and drabs in different ways, um, but has there been a fulfilling, authentic, what I would call authentic, um, full accounting and repairing of that harm from Minneapolis? No. That's an open wound. That has not been that has not been cleared up. And so, that's
0: and and I want to tie this back to last week's episode where tomorrow and that's why she reached out. And that's what you said. There was an open wound there. And she's still, as a white woman, um, healing from that. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, I, because
0: she felt complicit yes. in the harm that was being done, even though she was not uh, a, a chapter leader. All of us were complicit in that harm
1: all of us and that's that's what i think you're seeing now with the events of the chapter leaders uh the gdi strike Mm -hmm. that it that that is a representation of your community saying we no longer want to be
0: complicit and that's what and this is why i tell people i am not here to convince or um uh um convince or to convert the, the the alt whatever I am here for those individuals who are just recognizing that they're complicit and no longer want to be. There are enough people in this space who are complicit and don't want to be that can, when we're mobilized, when we're educated, we can change the fucking world. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, you know, for me, that situation, how that was handled. So I felt that my advice was entirely ignored. I mean, I remember being in that meeting and I do not swear in my professional life, in meetings, and I remember saying, "You need to do something that says we fucked up. You need to write that thing. It's a, maybe it's a medium, you know, article, and it's about how uh, now we recognize this, and it's we're going to be on the forefront of addressing this, and we're going to change all of our systems, and we're going to, you know, and I even gave an example of like Starbucks that happened earlier in Philly. And Starbucks closed their locations." Like we need to cease operations of X, Y, and Z so that we can concentrate on, on really getting our own house in order and and repairing this harm and doing the things that we need to do. But that's not what happened. It was essentially business as usual. People were still, we had a mandatory vacation between the week before Labor Day. This work doesn't take a vacation. Mm -hmm.
0: The harm doesn't take a vacation.
1: The harm doesn't take a vacation. Mm -hmm. People Mm -hmm. are not being, you know, they're not being healed in that time when nobody is talking to them and addressing this. So there were a lot of things that compounded and then that led right into summit. That's event number three. (laughs) That was entirely unresolved. And as I mentioned earlier, this theme of summit being about intersectionality, it was to me something that seemed like it was a buzzword and something that
0: we should be doing marketing with
1: (laughs) marketing. Right. But, but like, for me, when I think of marketing in the way that I want to do it, I've worked almost exclusively with mission-based organizations yeah. because I, I need to believe in what I'm saying. Yes, And that's where the cognitive dissonance load was too great for me at this organization because I no longer believed in what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I was putting out the pretty words. I did not – no longer had confidence that uh, people were going to be able to back that up with their actions to actually change or even the skills. In some cases, the skills are not there.
0: And so now you're talking about a job putting you in direct opposition to your values and your morals. And this is and 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 now, again, you're having to make a decision as a marginalized woman. At which we do every single fucking day. Do I need this Mm -hmm. paycheck? What is this going to do to my family if I do this, that, and the other? Now we're, again, doing the mental gymnastics again.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's not just internal. It's talking to my family. I have a young child. I have a partner. Yes. You know, this job is killing me. Yes. I, I remember saying in the first month that I was at this job, I said, wow, that was the shortest honeymoon I've ever had at a job. And so I had to talk to my family and say, look, this is what it's doing to me. Stress is a killer. We all know this. Yes. This is not having to live inauthentically at my job, having to work inauthentically at my job is not something that I am willing to do or that quite honestly can do for that much longer. When can I quit? That was a question I asked my partner all the time. When can I quit? And this is, uh,
0: and I want to speak <laughs> to this, how not only the mental, the, the mental gymnastics and, and the now I need to figure out a strategy, for making sure I'm as healthy as I can be as I go into this toxic environment. Mm -hmm. It speaks to why there needs to be inclusion and diversity. See Again, Mm -hmm. the the nice to have is great. That That is a cherry on the cake. This is about organizational outcomes. This is about organizational profitability if you're for a profit company. This is about organizational cultures that allow business leaders, enable business leaders to learn from what the information, the data that is coming in so that you can differentiate and compete in a increasingly competitive global marketplace. We are still, this framework or how they were working, I talk about this a lot. We are no longer building widgets And we're not need to stop doing that. When you give someone a manual and it didn't matter how the fuck they felt about that job. They knew how to do the man. I mean, they knew how to create that widget. What we're now needing for the 21st century is people who are people who can create knowledge and that organizational leaders are able to get that tacit knowledge outside of the heads of the people so that they can use that to create, to um, create strategies around so that they can innovate. And you don't do that if you don't feel safe. I'm going to keep it right here. Businesses are losing money every day. Hiring, recruiting costs a whole shitload of money and you're losing every day. You're losing every day when that person does not feel safe and takes that knowledge with them somewhere else, starts their own mm-hmm. business, um, takes yep. it to another company because they did not trust you. You did not create a safe space for them to share um, you did not respect their level of expertise. All these other things. This is about money. This is about how you build organizations that have an impact. And if it's a mission-driven nonprofit, how do you make an impact in the com- com- in the communities and the constituents that you that you are are, are being um, funded to to support when the team mm-hmm. is doesn't no longer believes in your ability to do the thing that you're getting funded to do.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of this comes down to trust, and there's this incredible chart uh, that talks about prejudice and um, how trust and competence, um, how those two factors when you're thinking about people in work environments. So if you imagine the X-axis has a a spectrum of competence, so low competence to high competence in your job, and then the Y-axis has uh, low trustworthiness um, and high trustworthiness. The folks that are at the intersection of low trusting, I I was in this quadrant, low low trustworthiness from my colleagues, but high competence, are treated with envy and paranoia, right? So that's what, and I, I and I can give you the you know the study and the you know link for everyone to to follow along, but you know that's that's yes. the place where I resided, and that's where you know. They where people are put into the box of being um, model minorities or political competition or um, you know somehow they're 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 untrustworthy but they're highly competent. So the better you do at your job, the more you are
0: um, punished for it. And it it so explains what the needs because I had a, a, a bullshit conversation well um, exchange with some dude who kept the data um, that says that black women are the most degreed in this country. And it's for that reason. If we don't come in with the, first of all, we can't even get in the door without the paperwork, but we come in with the paperwork and that, and I'm so glad you used that analogy because I've never heard it that way, but that lack of trust. So we have this level of competence that many of our coworkers know they do not, cannot touch. And that's why I created that video recently. You are not my equal. You are not my, don't do not compare yourself to me. You may have privilege, which allows you to have, be in spaces and to do things that I can't, but that does not mean you're my equal. Um, and so when you come to the table or come at me, you make sure you have everything you need because, um, you're going to go away in tears. Um, and this is what, We've had to learn to do just to get in the room, so definitely we'll be sharing that because I would really like to see. And again, I'm a, a research base. It's all about data. So it's like you have you bring these brilliant individuals into your organization, as you said. They bring, you're the director of marketing, but the level of trust that you have within this organization is so low. You're you're gonna again again. So now we're talking money again because we're talking about um oh what's the word um. Uh, I can't think of the word right now, but your output. your um, so you're not gonna be you're working on a 30 instead of working at a hundred or hell eighty percent. I'm gonna give you thirty because that's all you deserve. And so now my 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 level of 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 giving to the I'm gonna do just enough to get this paycheck and you shut the fuck up talking to me. <laughs> that's just what it becomes.
1: Well, it's really interesting that you talk about compensation because there is definitely a disparity in the compensation at Girl Develop It. And, you know, what happens in these systems and what a lot of institutions do, right, is that they want lack of access to information because that optimizes control.
0: That's, inf- it's, uh, stop, all right, because that's called information asymmetry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Information <laughs> asymmetry mm-hmm. happening so that as employees, you don't know what other people make, so that you can't compare yourself and you can't ask for more, right? But once people do start talking... Once I developed relationships and had trust with some people on the team, right, you get to learn things. And I learned that I was most likely the lowest paid director and was getting paid more like a manager. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Why is it that I was ranked very high in my performance at my performance review at six months, but was only going to be um, suggested for a 2% raise? That's not even in some years inflation.
0: Yeah, exactly. Why?
1: Why? Right? So you have to ask those questions because those are, you know, when you when you talk about trust, when you talk about how much you're appreciated at a job, there are ways that you can feel appreciation. And if you're not feeling appreciation in any other ways, you have the basest core ways, right? Just the which is which income. Is income, right? <laughs> like you are just going to, you're going to tell me my worth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why? Why was I why was when I was hired, I was pegged so much lower, Mm -hmm. even with my experience and my degrees from
0: Ivy League institutions. So now you're also again, this is another example of you duplicating the system that you say you're fighting against. Exactly. The system that you say you're fighting against.
1: Exactly. So if you're really going to say, which was Afan saying, we get women paid. Well, you know what happened the week before Minneapolis happened on Twitter? On our general Twitter, the reason why I didn't see it on the Minneapolis GDI is because they didn't tag Girl Develop It. And I I didn't see that message. But when I was looking through our other social media accounts, just the week prior, before that tweet from the Minneapolis situation, there was a tweet that said, and tagged us girl development but you need to figure out how to, how to pay your people on time, something like that. Like girl development but you have to figure out how to pay your instructors on time, something like that. Mm-hmm. I read that immediately horrified. Oh my gosh, we didn't pay somebody on time. Mm-hmm. And the chapter leaders who are listening to this are going to be laughing because this was par for the course, not paying people on time. There are open tickets of instructors that have not been paid. There's just that, that operationally is not there, right, for a number of reasons. But back to the point at hand, this person reached out on, and put a message on our national Twitter, which has, I think, like 105,000 followers, that said, you gotta learn how to pay people on time. And what I did, just from a customer service perspective one, apologize immediately. I'm so sorry. Two, take action. I'm going to make that a priority. Let, that's not, I, I'm not in operations. I will make sure that I uh, talk to the director of operations, get to the bottom of this, see what happened and rectify it. And I will keep you posted. Okay, that's what I did directly to this person. Figured out that there was some issue with some paperwork, whatever it was, got back to the person. Hey, just wanted to check in with you the next day. Just wanted to check in with you and let you know that. you know, some reasons why this, this may have been delayed or X, Y, and Z. And uh, we're just figuring it out, but it should be resolved by the end of the week. I'll keep you posted, whatever it was. By the end, the person was apologizing to me and saying, I understand. I have empathy. I know how it is at nonprofits. I really appreciate all of your help. Thank you.
0: But that's the only way they felt they could get a voice,
1: right? That's the only way that they felt that they could get a voice Mm -hmm. because it was not being addressed. Otherwise the systems were broken where they should have been able to. And you know that's just a microcosm that's one thing about payment let alone a system for being a whistleblower yes or for talking about harassment or for any other kind of reporting there were no reporting channels that i could use officially or not officially but like on paper that um did not go through
0: a person who was harassing you.
1: <laughs> Right. And so I said, I, you know, we were in a meeting talking about that and I said, look, I've worked in labor rights. Like what you do is you have something that goes directly to the, to the board members. Oh, the board's not going to want that. They're not, they're not really involved. They don't really, they're just, you know, they're don't do that. I was always told like with the board, oh, they, they don't really care. They're not really, you know, hands on board they don't bother them. They're too busy. They're too important. They're too whatever. All of this stuff. Right. And again, that's that asymmetrical, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, um, access to information. And I had many opportunities to talk to board members. Board members came to me. And I had so many conversations. And some of them were in under the guise of being coached by one of the board members, right? So that's a whole nother issue. But um I had several coaching sessions. I don't know, maybe six you know, in addition to other conversations with that board member, um, one very memorable one in which I said, this organization is heading towards the edge of a cliff and it's just a matter of time before it falls off. Um, so I don't know if, if like that's enough of a warning that I gave, Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. thought it was, um, I was basically told that I needed to change or I needed to basically get with the program, or
0: or leave. Well, that sounds like that, that that email they sent out recently. (laughs)
1: yeah exactly it's in the same it's in the same vein so
0: you can't so that it can't be said that that was an isolated incident it's a part of the culture and i'm going to stop you because you can keep saying systems then i guess they have systems by default but they're not any strategic systems in place
1: right and even when there is a system like when you say oh we're working on processes and policies and procedures if there are not people there to hold those accountable and to uphold them and to make sure that they are working and to test them and to c- continuously, it's a continuous improvement. They're thing. operationalized, yeah. exactly. It is not something that you ever like a lot of these things are practices, right? Just like we yes. talk about a practice of yoga, a practice of meditation. You don't ever fully get there. It's it's the journey is the destination. Yeah. Always questioning, always causing that scene, always trying to be better. That's the work. Like that's that's the thing, right? But that's yeah. the thing that this organization didn't want to do in my experience while I was there.
0: Okay. I'm going to stop because you have one more though, right?
1: Yeah. So Summit was its own debacle where uh, Shanice and I gave a a presentation about community outreach in which we talked about um, oppression and emotional labor and um, the bystander effect and all of these things that you know, we were really saying we needed to get our own house in order, but we were our audience was the chapter leaders, was the a hundred or so chapter leaders that came from across the US. Okay. And this was supposed to be at a leadership summit that was that was supposed to be motivational and inspirational and a chance for people to connect. But the second day of programming was totally redone at the last minute by the executive director. Um and I think her intention was to make it um so more women of color were speaking, but the impact was great amounts of harm two women of color, two people of color who were at that summit. And that's, I, I can't remember if Shanice really went into detail about what happened, but one of the exercises was um, actually segregating out people. So we're we're here at a, at, a, at a summit that's supposed to be about intersectionality, about bringing our whole selves, about understanding how these different aspects of our identity compound and all of that, right? And we're told to get into two groups. Now it's a binary again. Right. The groups were white women, white people and um, women of color. But there was no definition. Why? Oh, So why? Stop. Why? To have affinity groups, to have a safe space where people could talk about their experiences, where they didn't feel like they would be judged or that they wouldn't. See, that
0: doesn't happen there. Safe spaces are created before then so that you don't have to do that.
1: Right. So. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not saying that an affinity space exercise is necessarily on its face a bad idea. I think there are contexts in which that could be helpful. I think it's helpful to have
0: affinity spaces. But in this context, absolutely, 100%, they didn't know their audience. Oh, no, I get I get, I get that. But my my thing is... You have to create safety first. You have to create safety first. Yes. You don't You don't separate people and then say that's a safe space. That, safe, that safety and that trust was not there. Yeah.
1: And, you know, for the Latinx members of the audience like myself, where do we fit in? Like you said, I'm white presenting. I get a lot of privilege from my whiteness. I am also a member of the HQ team. Do I feel like I have more of an openness and perspective uh, of the women of color? I do. But am I seen as a white woman? Yeah. So I went to the white women's affinity space and I felt crappy the entire time I was there. Mm. It, was, it was a very difficult experience for everyone. I mean, at one point, people were laughing in the white women's space. And I know that with being uncomfortable and talking about these issues, there can be laughter and giggling. and Like those are human responses. But when I heard that laughter, I just wanted to die inside. Because I was thinking, there's not any laughing.
0: I'm just going to tell you, just listening, just listening to this is 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 causing uh, uh, me to have a physical response to what you just said. Me too. This is is, mm, yeah. Okay, yes. can we move on to number four? I yep. just don't even want to talk about that anymore. No, I, uh, you apologize. don't need to apologize I just keep for that, that right there.
1: There was harm that's continuing yeah. to be perpetuated mm. from that experience that hasn't been healed. No,
0: you're you're fine. That just mm. so that Go ahead.
1: that happened at summit. And we had several debriefs in which we all talked about how that was not even real debriefs. They were just, we all needed to meet it as a team because we were absolutely not on the same page. And many of us were already suffering from PTSD from that experience. And then the response to that, right? So Minneapolis still hadn't been addressed. Now we compounded it by not talking about Minneapolis. And one of my suggestions was use it as a case study bring in some consultants, bring in people to say, if this is happening at the Minneapolis chapter, we know it's not an isolated incident. It's probably happening other places, but no one wanted to hear my perspective. (laughs) It was too scary, right? It's coming from a place of fear. Um, And then the last, you know, the last thing was Shanice's podcast. Um, So I knew Shanice was leaving. I was one of her references. I was going to do everything in my power to help her get out of the situation. If I was suffering, she was suffering a million times worse. She and I became close while we were there. I was happy to help. She landed in a better place after that happened. And it was a very strange way that she was off boarded. It was a very uncomfortable situation for the rest of the HQ team members, how it was communicated to chapter leaders was very strange. All of the stuff that was still, you know, like all of this, pretense and subtext of what happened in Minneapolis and summit was still there. And then Shanice leaves abruptly and what probably felt like abruptly to chapter leaders. And um, then her podcast comes out. Right. And she spoke her truth. She was extremely brave. She told the truth about things that again, in this culture that we're conditioned not to cause a scene were conditioned to be well-mannered and not and polite and not talk about these things. Right. She, she spoke those things. And that's what I think chapter leaders were finally, when chapter leaders were finally saying, Oh my God, I didn't even know. I didn't even know this was going on. I now, now I have to feel bad about being complicit about Minneapolis, about being complicit about what happened at summit and now being complicit about what was even happening on the HQ team itself. Um, And I very much, my experience was very much the same, like, oh, this is just more, this is just more to feel like, am I a part of the solution or am I part of the problem? And when all of the ways that I tried to be a part of the solution throughout my entire time there were not working, I'm like, this is, I'm sorry, I've lost faith. I can't, I can no longer say these words and feel even remotely good about them because I do not feel that, you know the structures are there, the will is there, the skills are there, uh, that that this organization could change in the ways that it needs to change in order for me to feel okay to be there. And that's, I think, what a lot of chapter leaders are feeling now. And I've, you know, a lot of people have reached out to me afterwards um, to talk about their experiences. And unfortunately, a lot of people have suffered. These are just, these four examples, like I said, it's just tip of the iceberg. And it's just from my very short period of time there um, but imagine that this harm has been happening in lots of different ways, um, for many, many years. And most of the time people just check out. Yeah. Yeah. They just decide, okay, I'm going to throw my hands up, but you know, what's interesting about GDI and the way that it counts its members, you could throw up your hands and say, I no longer support this organization, but if you haven't closed out your meetup membership with them, you're still counted in the 110,000 members. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So there, there is no, you know, in, in that way, in the, the, just the numbers, there isn't that feedback loop. But there are many other feedback loops that were ignored in many different times. So I talked about talking with one of the board members, right? So that was one path that I could talk about the issues that were happening in very specific terms. Um, I also wrote a seven-page letter and had, you know, extensive discussions with my supervisor about what was going on, about how I felt disregarded and disrespected and discriminated against in ways. How, um, you know, how how those actions impacted me personally from a very just, you know, when this happened, this is how I felt. And I had to basically beg for apologies for those incidents that happened. And really, an apology, that's nice. Check that box. But what I want to see is I want to see you change. I want to see you be better. I want to see you the next time not make those same mistakes. And so with all of these things, I progressively saw no learning and no growth. And that's why I lost faith. But I also spoke to another board member. And that's a board member who who approached me when we were in Los Angeles. And we kept that open line of communication. And I told her a lot of things. I, I, I told her that I was leaving. I told her that I, you know, uh, that I felt like things were not going to get better, that I had lost that faith. I gave her specific examples of how sponsorships were being mishandled, about how um, I thought that people were, were, you know, using intellectual property that I had developed for the organization for their personal gain. (laughs) I I gave her many, many specific examples, Mm -hmm. right? More than those seven pages. Mm -hmm. Um, So to say we, we, you know, we weren't given notice. I gave notice to two board members. I know Shanice gave notice to two other board members. So you were put on notice. Um, and then there was also just the fact that there were surveys. When you say that you had this physical response, just to me recounting part of a situation, third hand, I was not in that room, but I heard from people directly. Um, I also saw the feedback. When we had a meeting about that feedback, the person who needed to hear that feedback the most said, oh, I didn't really get a chance to read it. It was homework for that meeting. That that meeting was only Mm. about talking about that feedback. I took notes. I took notes. I pulled out important things. I like dropped everything I could once that survey feedback was available to me because that was important. That was the most important thing. So if you ask like the leadership of this organization, what their goals are, one of the goals for the executive director that she has for herself is to raise a million dollars by February. How is that your goal versus healing this community? Is this a current goal? Yes. Oh. So if you're not like, if your number one goal isn't healing this community and taking a full account of the harm that you have done and beginning to repair that harm in real ways, not just talking about, Oh, we're going to, you know, ha- Help with childcare at hackathons. We're going to help with, um, you know, our, our new payment system. We're going to go to Salesforce. We're going to create policies, but actually, like acting in ways that are repairing that harm um, in your interpersonal relationships, in the ways that you communicate with people, in the words that you use, in learning how to apologize. I felt like I was teaching people not just how to apologize, but what to apologize for.
0: And this goes. I'm going to bring this back. The things that you're asking for demonstrate that these are skills and 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 um competencies that they don't they don't have, they're not equipped with. And unless so you can change the policies, you can do Salesforce, you can do all of that, but until you're dedicated to getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and learning yes. those things, yes. none of that matters. And so you're telling me. Your company is imploding because of harm that your that's been done to. Okay, let's take it back to business. So you have employees who should be your first stakeholder. Yes, if they're being harmed, how do you think their 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 treatment of your customers are going to be? Right.
1: How can you be your best when that's happening and that hasn't been resolved?
0: And so this is, again, about the economics and the feasibility of businesses being able to to um, scale, recover and grow. I mean, evolve. This is all about and I, I'm a, my when I was in doctoral and getting my doctor's degree, my research was on learning organizations, mm-hmm. um, not organizational learning, but learning organizations, organizations that at their core are about learning are at their core about listening to, to voices, at their core about being uncomfortable, at their core about evaluating continuously the processes, procedures, and policies they have in place. Right. Um, because that's what's required for economy that is built on knowledge. That's what's yes. required.
1: Yes. So that's, again, going, coming back to the concept, that tension, that, that cognitive dissonance between being an organization that espouses this learning philosophy, but doesn't actually act in that way.
0: Well, OK, I'm going to so see. this is where I, I draw lines, because what they're espousing to be is an education. So they provide services to educate. Right. Yeah.
1: But also to provide inclusive communities. OK, but they didn't
0: th- that didn't happen. Right. So so what what we have is an organization that provides coursework uh-huh, in some ways, because I mean, that's how I came to know them in Atlanta. They provide they have courses. Right. And um, and it's so funny because people were complaining about why did GDI courses cost money, because those are the only ones that, that cost money. Um, here in Atlanta, and and then I'm seeing now I'm seeing all the stuff behind it. And it's like, oh, okay, all right. Um, so if your goal is to get a million dollars, you could quickly get to that if your culture was um, and your processes and things. So it's like you're you're doing things that are in total counter to the goals you're trying to meet. Exactly. So how do you do that when you have? um, chapters that have closed down when you have chapter leaders who are, um, feeling hurt. You don't talk about that. But how do you get to your million by February?
1: You don't, (laughs) it's a broken system. (laughs) It is. It doesn't make sense. But see, the thing is like, it's not that people, it's not, it's not that they're, you know, like the optimal for me is not a lack of conflict or a lack of mistakes or a lack of anything. That's, that's not actually the, the, the ideal. The ideal is when those things happen, right? Because it's not yes. if they're happening. It's when those things happen. Because they will happen. <laughs> they will happen in everybody's life. It's how you deal with them. Yes. Are mm-hmm. you doing that in a, in a just way, in a way that does not compound the harm, in a way that is not oppressive, in a way that heals, right? Mm-hmm. It, but you have to have the humility mm-hmm. to be able to recognize when those things happen and to truly authentically acknowledge that and then to start to do better. And I think there's this lack of like when you said, oh, things have to look good at some point. I was like, that's exactly how it was. Things have to look good. And and I feel complicit in my role of making things look so good when things were not good.
0: Yeah, because you so you 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 we, people were using your words, your content to make decisions on funding, on whether to join this organization, and correct. Yeah, And Janice spoke about that, she's like she can no longer be there yes. because her being there meant that this yes. space was safe.
1: Exactly, and that's exactly the same ethical quandary I was in, and and th- th- there's a tipping point. There was a tipping point. I'm not exactly sure what it was when I'm just thinking, okay, can this be saved? Can this is there something here to salvage that could could we be could could this swing to the positive could we uh, like i said eternal optimist can can we improve this how can we improve this and just constantly thinking of like okay that strategy didn't didn't work right what i tried on that last project didn't work no one met their deadlines i felt disrespected i felt unappreciated i worked overtime i did all of these things right Okay. next time I'm going to do something different. But I was constantly trying to throw Mm -hmm. things out there. And I think what happens is that when you become the person that questions, right, people stop listening to you if they're not open to that.
0: And it's also the fact that you are a marginalized person. These questions have to come from in organizations that, that they have to be championed by the privileged individuals. For some people, yeah it goes back to supremacy, my word and my actions. Again, when you were talking about my competency and trust Mm -hmm. are are irrelevant and invalidated. (sighs) Yes. Okay. This, okay. So (laughs) this is, mm, I'm feeling so many, I'm feeling so many things right now. So (laughs) we're going to wrap this up and I'm uh, (laughs) going to wrap this up and I'm going to ask you, are there any final words you'd like to leave us with? Wow.
1: Well, I guess it being the end of the year, um, beginning of a new year, it's really a time for reflection and something that I was thinking about was the word justice is Miriam Webster's word of the year. And I think that's really going to guide me in my 2019. And I guess I leave that out there as, as a starting yeah, point for um, other folks to think about too.
0: I was about to apologize, but I'm not because I'm uncomfortable and I hope a whole lot of white people out there are uncomfortable right now um, because lack of inclusion is a risk management issue. And as we see with GDI, you will be coming down. You will. It's a it's time that these organizations implode. I'm no longer going to sit by and not say anything um, I'm going to provide my platform, this podcast and other things that I do, a platform for people to share their stories, to call out this shitty behavior, because these people are in the way, these organizations are in the way, they're sucking up resources, they're sucking up time and they're harming people in ways. I mean, people, I, and this is why this pissed me off is because GDI is the, is the gateway to tech for so many women. And, um, when you talk about everybody wants to blame the pipeline, these women aren't even getting to the pipeline. Um, and so this has to stop. So thank you, everybody. And um, don't know what the fuck you feel, but I know I feel like shit right now. So have a great day. <sighs> have All a right. wonderful day. Thank you too. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Called Sing podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtagcallthecene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.